Welcome to Red Eye, a conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversation you would have on a red eye flight late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind, and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. Today, we are going to expand a little bit deeper into the craziness in the crypto world and do a little compare and contrast with what else is going on in society and and what the general press narratives are. So just to recap the crypto situation to give everybody kind of the top to bottom, there was a massive group called FTX, which was essentially a cryptocurrency like exchange. And this is where you'll put your money, you'll buy your crypto, you'll hold it. They took all of their customers' deposits and lent them to another company that his girlfriend owned, the founder of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried. His girlfriend owned an investment bank. So Sam basically allowed her to take all of the customer funds and invest it. Her practices in investing were quite irresponsible, as were his practices in managing the customer deposits. And they have lost about 8 to $10 billion of their customers' money and didn't even realize it the entire time. So there's a lot of people out there that because of this have lost like their life savings like that are that are in really really bad shape as a result of it. And the thing that I think gets me about it is if you look at the media, it's all about what did Kyrie tweet? What did Kanye say? What did Jalen Brown say? And these guys are, you know, tweeting or retweeting some random shit. And these are basketball players that we're holding accountable for, you know, being the 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 most knowledgeable people in the world. But we have a tech CEO who literally was was trusted with billions of dollars by many, many, many people, but because he operated in a gray area, the SEC doesn't have regulation over, he created a fuck up that essentially is like much, much bigger than the Enron situation, you know, bigger than the the Bernie Madoff situation. And if you Google him and you look at the press around it, all of the press is positive around him. It's it's trying to salvage his reputation. It's trying to salvage the reputation of his girlfriend. And you know this is across all sort of mainstream media. And it's really important to also acknowledge that he's one of the largest, largest donors, the second largest donor to Biden's campaign that got him into the presidency. And so you've got this guy who I think it's very, very clear how much he is tied in with, let's say, the powers that be, who's done something incredibly heinous and who it looks like really won't ever suffer consequences for these actions. And, you know, kind of at the same time, we have this contrasted with the Brett Favre story that broke a few weeks ago, where he embezzled money from the state of Mississippi for a volleyball gym, some sort of new volleyball gym or training facility for his daughters. And again, Nothing happened to him. Nobody's talking about it. No media around it. But the media just kind of very quickly points you right back to, oh, man, you should be mad at Kyrie today. You should be mad at Jalen Brown today. You should be mad at Kanye today. And, you know, I think I think it's a it's a pretty wild, wild thing to watch when you actually know what's going on in this in this crypto thing like this is in our history, one of the biggest scams that you know, has has ever happened. One of the biggest embezzlements and, you know, mismanagements of money. And uh, there's no consequence, but more importantly, there's no conversation about this in the mainstream media. And, you know, I think that for both of us, 
V, we were disappointed, you know, seeing how this was covered. And I think that's why we felt like it was really important to talk about this on the pod. Very, very critical. Um, again, you know, the elephant in the room here is race. It is always the elephant in the race. And the underlying underscore of race is power, right? And the power structures that exist in this country. It, at the most minute level all the way to the highest level we have more of a challenge as any minority in this country to go into a bank and get a loan to go into a car dealership and get approved for a car loan whereas somebody who probably has less means um, can walk into any car dealership any bank and the, the level of scrutiny in which their financial situations are evaluated versus any minority in America is drastically different. And the evidence is very clear throughout the history of America. This isn't just, you know, theoretical or a hypothetical, you know, you have policies that have been highlighted, such as redlining, that show this and showcase this over and over again. And at a very large level, if you look at SBF, People trusted him with his money because he was a white face from a good, well-to-do family. They didn't want to believe that this guy could be running a Ponzi scheme. Same with Bernie Madoff. And we have a history with Brett Favre. It's not just this fraud that he's done financially, but if you look back at he was definitely a great football player, very fun to watch, but he had a lot of problems when he was on the field in terms of sexual harassment, other issues that were always brushed under the rug because white America valued him as an elite athlete. And that's the reality of the situation. Same with media, because in this SBF situation, it's very, very important that you brought up that he is the second largest donor to the Democratic Party, because what's very interesting about this is Fox News isn't coming at him as hard as they would if he was a minority um, minority who committed something even similarly. And then the contrast between Kyrie and Kanye, neither one of them has committed a crime. Nothing that they have done is criminal. <laughs> yeah. but you yeah, they look just, at, you they've look, just tweeted something unpopular. They've tweeted something very, very unpopular, um, but they haven't committed a crime. But the way that they've been persecuted in society, Kyrie getting suspended for seven games, where, where are the penalties for SBF? Where are the penalties for Brett Favre? Even I was watching the, the, the Packers game, and Kirk Herbstreet, who you know is an Ohio State alum, is sitting there talking glowingly about Brett Favre like none of this even happened about his talent as a quarterback um and i'm like so you're just not going to you're just going to ignore the fact that this guy's a criminal and he's done something very shady um and that's the thing it's systemic you know what, what white america white media ignores and always it's almost it's the same thing with slavery it goes back to slavery what do we all want for white America to take accountability for the sins that they've committed and the atrocities that they've committed to maintain and build power in America. It's a very simple ask. It's not hard to do, but instead of ever acknowledging it, it's like this double down effect where whenever they do something wrong, they collude and they try to make sure it's swept under the rug. Same thing with Donald Trump. 
If what he's done is so bad, why hasn't he still been criminally prosecuted? If he was doing all this shady stuff, the end of the day, they're not going to hold him accountable because he's a white male with money in America. I guarantee he's not going to be forced to take the accountability if he did create and do these crimes that everyone's accusing him of. Uh, it's just not going to happen. And yeah, not only and- that, this guy is able to run for president again. While on the same day, the next day, his CFO is testifying against him that he knowingly committed crimes with his foundation and nobody cares because all he had to do was announce his presidency and that put those headlines underneath underneath it all. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I really want to point out like this is not an indictment on a particular race. Like just because you're white doesn't mean you're evil. And that's that's not the intent here. I think it's more of a statement on a power structure and people in politics who are very, very involved in trying to preserve and maintain a power structure who, you know, whether it's explicit or implicit, um, have a bias to treat people of color differently than they would treat people, um, you know, who are, who are, you know, Caucasian in a situation that, you know, is comparable in magnitude. Right. And I think, you know, there's a lot of lot of people every single day that are also being taken advantage of that are white and i think it's just really important for us to like put that put that in here like it's there's no there's no like you know collective racial suppression effort amongst all people that look the same way you know but yeah, that being I mean, said yeah I, like back to the I, point I think like it, yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think the underlying thing is that, you know, the whole conversation, because it's really important for me to speak to, you know, the good white people, which I know quite a few of, um, that you're being impacted as well by this power structure, creating this kind of entitlement structure and this division in society. You're also being affected by that if you are not at the top of the power structure. And I think that that's something that also happens from a manipulation standpoint is this kind of false sense of security that they give a lot of, a lot of white folks. When at the end of the day, the power structure, that's just another tool that they're using to manipulate um, poor white people as well, or middle-class white people as well. I think that's also important to highlight. But the thing here for me is it's like really, really fucking tiring when you are a minority in this country and you have talent and you work your ass off to do the right thing to make a way for you and your family, how often and how much harder you have to work because of these stereotypes against you, you know, to this day, you know, like minorities, even Indian Americans who might have be more well off than a middle class white American when they go into a bank and the banker hears their accent, they don't want to believe and they don't want to acknowledge that this person is as financially stable as just a well-groomed white American going in for that same loan. And I've dealt with this. You've dealt with this. Black Americans deal with this. And that's why I applaud the Jewish Americans for taking the bull by the horns and acknowledging what the society is and understanding that you have to build your own power structure. You have to, because it's not because that's what you want to do. That's what society forces you to do to succeed and thrive. 
And unfortunately, in this country specifically, Black Americans have been stepped on over and over again and not been allowed. Every time they've tried to build their own power structures through Black Wall Street, through through building their own economy during segregation, it's been stomped on and destroyed. And that's a benefit also that I think even as minorities, we have to understand we're all dealing with this. But what's happened to them, it's like, how are you supposed to, how can you blame Kyrie for having mental health issues? How can you blame Kanye for having mental health issues when this is what they're dealing with? And this is what we're all dealing with. And I think the reason that I want to speak to white America is it's not a race thing. This is an American thing. But within America, what has happened is a small group of white Americans have created this system that divides us all, that makes it 10 times harder for a minority, no matter how hard they work, to get the same level of respect, basic human respect that a white American gets. And it's important for that conversation to be had. And it's important for us to rip the Band-Aid off for white Americans because the white Americans that I know who are truly woke fully understand what I'm saying. They acknowledge it and they deal with it, and they make the improvements within their own lives to make sure that they don't operate like that. But it takes a lot of work to do that, to completely dismiss your entitlement and to take all of this away. You know, what I thought was really interesting, too, was um, Dave Chappelle's SNL bit, because it reminded me of his final stand-up special where he received a lot of hate from... um, for his comments, you know, regarding transsexuals and, um, you know, his jokes in that segment. But a lot of people missed the point he was making, which he made again on SNL last week. And the point was, you're not mad at me because I'm, because, you know, I'm actually being judgmental. You're mad at, and I'm not being racist or, or, you know, discriminatory. He's like, I'm a comedian, I'm making a joke, but you're mad at me because, I'm black and you're a white technically minority and it's like this this thing where I think we're seeing it with this um this debate between the Jewish community and the black community right now and if you go on social like there is a heavy mobilization of kind of both sides right now that are that are having a debate and I think what's interesting is that when you are a minority and you know religion for example or in lifestyle but you have white skin there is definitely and especially if you're male there's there's additional privilege that you do have that i think really does go unacknowledged and i saw a lot of comments after Chappelle's bit on snl where people were like you know again upset at him as usual without actually really listening and i think that with him with kanye with with you know, I, I actually think Kanye's a little bit in a different camp, but you know, let's put Kyrie and Jalen Brown in the same camp there. Um, I just think it's like really, really odd when you see minorities attack each other. Like the people who I know who are you know very strongly against Kyrie are not the people who would be affected by his words. Like, there's very few. Jewish Americans aggressively going after Kyrie. It's mostly people who are brainwashed into the same system that you're referring to, V, who think that they're doing something good and, you know, fighting for rights, but really all they're doing is they're 
they're unable to accept that they are born in you know a good situation and so they're like looking for ways to try and prove that their life is just as hard and when these debates come up especially when you have you know somebody who's a minority but wealthy in the mix it makes them a very very easy target for somebody who feels disenfranchised and i think like this whole situation has been that because if you look at a lot of a lot of the rabbis i've seen a lot of the people who are out there making videos are preaching understanding and love and compassion who actually you know in my view do represent the jewish community and the jewish community is one that that is a very loving community and if you look at the overall semitic community which extends to islam which extends to africa which extends far beyond just you know white people who are jewish there's a much bigger conversation to be had and i think these conversations if you label them as anti-semitic if you label a conversation about you know sexual rights and the ability to change gender or not change gender if you label that conversation as discriminatory then what you're doing is you're preventing the conversation from being had that needs to be had for society to heal and improve and be more accepting. Because ultimately, like the only reason somebody's pointing one of these things out is because they want to understand what's happening on the other side too. Like they want, they want to know. Like I think the human nature of all of these things is like everybody wants in their heart to come together as one, and it's like these ego-driven you know, battles that we wage in our society or what prevent that from happening. Yeah, I, I don't really think people want to come together as one. That's one thing I think is a human thing. We do like division. We do like um, competition. We do like hierarchies. We're predisposed psychologically to these things and it's exposed throughout society. That's why you have the different income levels. That's why you have all of these things. And I think what particularly bothers the Jewish American community and what also causes the rift is that I think because they're like, oh, you, you guys control all of these things, they discount their status as a minority. And it's like, no, we are not white America. We don't do, we don't operate like that. We, we worked hard to get where we're at. We didn't just create these power structures. We worked hard and we create opportunities for all people. We're not, we're not, don't align us with the traditional American power structure and how they operate. We don't operate the same. And I think it's the same thing with the gay and transsexual community. But the thing that I think they both and all of these communities, kind of like the elevated minorities, and I would throw Indian Americans in there as well, is a lack of sympathy and understanding for the fact that you are placed that there is a degree of entitlement and respect that you're given that other minorities aren't, that Black Americans are not given in society. And I think that's what Dave Chappelle is really speaking to. They don't want to hear that from him. But John Stewart says a lot of the same things that Dave says Chappelle the, he says. He says the exact same things, yeah. And, and, and he's viewed as like this, this reasonable, well-liked, human being. Why? Because of the complexion of his skin. And John Stewart will acknowledge the same. Him and Dave Chappelle are good friends. He has no issue with what... That's the, that's the underlying point here is that nobody in this society, they, we like these hierarchies. We like this, this, this position. Jewish Americans, whether or not they want to say it, they like the fact... I, I won't even say like. 
they benefit because I don't think they like it. <laughs> I just said that. I think they benefit for the fact that they're closer to white Americans. The same thing with a light-skinned Indian person or any light-skinned black American. They are treated better than a darker complexion person. These are the realities of society. The reason people have an issue with what Dave Chappelle is saying is because of what he looks like. They don't have that same issue when Jon Stewart says it. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's very spot on, and yeah, completely agreed there. I think the the overall takeaway from watching these events too is that we, I think, as individuals, can do a better job of how we parse the information that we're being fed. Um, so, for example, like just because something's on the New York Times doesn't mean that it's not influenced or it's not positioned by these factors, whether it's conscious or subconscious, right? And it's like, everything is being written by a real person who's a writer. That writer has a job. They need to hit a quota. They need to write a certain amount of articles a week. If they get more hits, they get a bonus, right? Like, There's a lot of different incentives that I think we all tend to forget are part of the media game. And so you know, the way that things are being presented to us is always going to be skewed by what is consumerized or you know, consumed in general the most, right? And so we have to remember that every source, there's no news anymore. There's entertainment and there's political entertainment, there's social entertainment, there's cultural entertainment, there's, you know, athletic entertainment. Um, But the sooner that we can recognize that and read everything with this lens of, you know, do I want to buy into that? Do I not want to buy into that? Like really ask ourselves that question. I think that's that's the step that really gets us, you know, forward as a society. And if we all make the change within ourselves, what naturally happens is the articles that are more thoughtful do resonate deeper with us. The articles that are more, you know, considerate of these perspectives of, hey, we're not treating Brett Favre the same way we're treating Kanye, that comes up because the narrative is something that becomes consumer-led and consumer-driven. And so you know, that's kind of how I look at like the entirety of, of all of this is like, there's a system we can, we can, you know, be frustrated with and complain about, but it starts with each individual changing their consumer behavior. It changes the way that information is presented to you and what information is presented to you. Because if people can't make dollars off of a certain angle, that angle goes away really fast. And I just think like, that is the action step, you know, as, as the regular person that you can take to start to start to make the shift here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and, and John Stewart said this very eloquently um, in his interview with Stephen Colbert. It's like, are we going to stop talking across each other or are we going to have conversations? Because I think that's the problem. It's like, you know, they tell this to kids. We know these lessons. Sometimes you have to rip the Band-Aid off. And I think the thing that Dave Chappelle does very well is he rips the Band-Aid off and our reaction as a society to him shows how unprepared and unwilling we are to have real conversations about these subjects. Is, is you know, the LBT, LBGTQ community willing to lock arms? Because this is what I, I don't see in society is when a Black American is impacted. I don't see the LBGTQ community rush to their aid. I don't see 
the Jewish American community. In some instances, I've seen the Jewish American, but it's like this divide and conquer approach where these are our initiatives. This is our, we're, we're all separate. We're fighting for our own individual rights without looking at the fact that you wouldn't even be able to fight for these rights if the Black American community didn't fight for civil rights, which is the backbone in which all of these other rights have been built, and women as well. When abortion rights get taken away from women in our society, and as a society, we don't band together with women, if we don't understand the history of what women did to have to fight, to be able to have the right to vote, to have to be looked at equally as man, that's what this is about. You don't, as a man, have the right to tell me as a woman what to do with myself. If you don't understand the psychological backdrop to that and then understand why pro-choice is so important to women, then you're not, you're not ready to have any of these conversations. If you're not willing to look at what Black Americans did to give Jewish Americans and the LBGTQ community the ability to fight for their rights, then we're not ready to have these conversations. As a society, we have to look, and as Indian Americans, this divide and conquer approach, we're all minorities, we're all fighting against the same system of oppression. By us dividing ourselves and fighting for our individual rights versus looking at it as a whole, as a community, this is going to continue to to, to be prevalent in society. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's you know a pretty great way to to lead us to a conclusion here. Um, there's a, there's always going to be these types of events that that happen you know on a day to day basis, and I think like if if you want to kind of walk away from listening to this episode with some sort of takeaway and something you can do to make the world better, I think that thing would be to wait until you see the next headline that is polarizing that starts to separate people, and to to put your effort into into bridging the gap, you know? So the next time that there's two people fighting, arguing, debating, whether it's at a party you're at, whether you're out somewhere and you see it, try to bring those people together on their commonalities because the differences we have are far, far fewer than the amount of things we share in common. Like we're all the same vessel, the same operating system here. And we're arguing because, you know, the color of, of the machine is different, right? And it's like, these are pointless arguments that we end up having at the end of the day. And so, you know, that would be that would be my push to you as a listener is like keep that keep that with you, keep that love, keep that, you know, genuine love for humanity with you and take it, it take it into the next situation where you see something negative, something polarizing, something that's triggering happen and just find a way to see if you can bring both sides together with what you say as opposed to taking a side and trying to figure out who's right. Yeah, 100%. These conversations are important. Being aware is the first step and acknowledging. I think that is the issue that every persecuted minority has is just acknowledge the truth and then we can then we can have a conversation from there and not only acknowledge the truth, acknowledge that your truth and someone else's truth may be different because of their experiences and have the conversations to understand their perspective before you just react to their perspective. That's, Perfect. That's, that's the last thing I have to say on that. Well, on that note, you know, be you, you as fly, pilot boys out.